0: Hi there and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm gonna have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're in a series we've been doing the last couple of weeks called In the Meantime. We've been taking a look at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And really this, this whole letter is really all about Waiting and learning what to do in the meantime while we are in seasons of waiting and going through seasons of challenge and seasons of of difficulty. And in the case of this beautiful letter from Paul to the church of Thessalonica, uh, in the meantime was twofold. It was twofold. It meant two different things. It meant they were waiting in the meantime to be reunited with Paul because they had been separated. We're gonna talk about that today. Um, But it's also a second kind of waiting in the meantime. Awaiting in the meantime to be reunited with Jesus, for Jesus to come a second time uh, in the future. And so a quick recap, if you haven't been here, of of why Paul is writing this letter to this church. And Paul and his friends, they had gone on this missionary journey, traveling around the world. And one of their stops was in Greece in a city known as Thessalonica. And we can read about this actual event in this story in the book of Acts, another book of the Bible in Acts 17. And while Paul and his friends were, were there in Thessalonica, they shared the story of Jesus, which is what they tended to do when they went into cities. They, they would tell people about Jesus and and they would share with anybody who would listen to them. And a few of the people there in Thessalonica believed. They believed in what Paul and his friends were saying and they put their faith in Jesus. They stopped worshiping their, free, their, their, their Greek gods, their Greek idols, and they began worshiping Christ. But not everybody was was happy about this. Not everybody was happy that this, this new church basically had been born in this city. Uh, some of the Thessalonians were so upset by these Christians that they formed a mob and a riot and basically went looking for Paul and their friends. And they couldn't find Paul. They couldn't find him. They arrested instead a man named Jason who had become one of these new Christian believers and was allowing Paul and his friends to live with him while they were in the city, he was hosting them and they arrested Jason. And Jason eventually posted bail, but but Paul and his friends had to flee the city for their lives. They had to run for their lives basically. And they can't go back. There's basically a warrant out for Paul's arrest. And so essentially that's why he's, he's writing this letter to this young church instead of going and visiting himself because he doesn't want to put them at risk. He doesn't want to put himself at risk. And so over the last couple of weeks, we talked about in chapter one, in the beginning of chapter two, we've seen in the beginning of this letter, Paul's just great, great love for the Thessalonians and his encouragement to them while they're waiting in the meantime. But let's pray and we'll continue to look at the next part of this letter. So Lord, I, I thank you that we we get to worship you freely here today and gather here today and don't have to be afraid for our lives. We don't have to be afraid that we're gonna have to flee out of here. And I just think we can so easily take that for granted. And I don't wanna take that for granted today. And I pray, Lord, that as as we look at this next section in uh, 1 Thessalonians, and continue in going through this letter, Lord, that not only would we understand and have a little bit more of an understanding of what it was like for these people living in their time and age, but also, Lord, would you teach us what you want us to learn from your word today? And I just pray, Lord, that I, I wouldn't say anything that you wouldn't have me say, nothing more, uh, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And in the, so in the second part of chapter two, starting off in verse 13, and really all the rest of chapter three, Paul is continuing to explain and defend why he hasn't been able to come and visit this Thessalonian church uh, for his safety, for their safety. And in doing so, he basically addresses three different challenges, three different challenges uh, of, of why, what they're facing and what we too should expect to face while we're living in, in the meantime. And the first one is a, is a challenge we've talked about really all three the last couple of weeks, and it's the challenge of suffering. It's a theme that Paul continues in this next section. So we're going to continue to talk about it as well. But it's, it's the challenge of suffering. Starting off uh, chapter two, verse 13, it says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile toward everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. We'll pause right there. So Paul's a bit wordy here in this section, but there's this theme, again, of the challenge of suffering that comes with being a Christian. Paul is saying here that the reason the Thessalonian Christians are suffering and being persecuted is because they simply believed. They simply believed in Jesus. Verse 13, again, it said this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul is saying that because they have believed in Christ, they have experienced the suffering from some other non-Christian Thessalonians. And Paul makes this comparison here of comparing that saying, you guys are just like many of the Christians in the cities of Judea who have experienced suffering from non-Christian Jews. And Paul is saying, don't be surprised by this. Don't, I'm not surprised by this. In fact, I wanna encourage you in this that when you become a Christian, it means that at times you're going to experience pushback from the people around you, from your neighbors, your coworkers, family, maybe even some friends, close friends. And this is an unfortunate part of the deal that comes with suffering, this idea of suffering because of their faith. And now as Christians today, we may not experience this level of suffering and persecution in central Ohio. We might not have to run for our lives or flee for our lives or fear of being arrested for our faith here. But we all experience suffering at some point and on some level. And it's an important thing that we understand what kind of suffering we're talking about here. It's important that we have a healthy biblical view of the kind of suffering that Paul is addressing here, because we can kind of think of suffering in one of two ways. One of two ways. We can think of judgmental suffering and we can think of redemptive suffering. Judgmental suffering and redemptive suffering. And the view of judgmental suffering is like that the current level of my suffering or lack thereof that I might be experiencing must match the current level of God's displeasure with me or maybe pleasure with me. Like what I mean by that is if life is going well and my level of suffering is relatively low, then that must mean God is happy with me, that God is pleased with me, right? But if life is not going well, if there's a lot of difficulty in my life, if there's pain in my life, if there's challenge in my life, then God must be upset with me. I must have done something wrong. He must be angry at me. I must have done something sinful. You know, uh, the diagnosis I got last week or my best friend talking behind my back at school or whatever it is, those difficult things that we go through, big or small, there must be judgment from God because I must have done something wrong to deserve that. And sadly, too many Christians, too many Christians can put this view of suffering upon themselves and trying to explain their own suffering. And that's never the case. That's never the case. When we're going through difficulties, it's never the reason for our sufferings. Because as Christians, our sufferings are never the result of God's judgment over us. Because as Christians, judgment is already over. Judgment is already over. Because by being in Christ, like Michael talked about last weekend, by being in Christ, Jesus has taken our judgment upon himself. And we are now free of, being a f- free of the fear of this kind of suffering. Instead, the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about here is what we refer to as redemptive suffering. And by redemptive suffering, I mean that our current circumstances, our current sufferings or lack thereof is not an indication of whether God is happy or upset with us, but rather it's God's desire to to in those sufferings in, in our lives to use them to mold us more into the image of Christ. To use them as teachable moments for us to learn to trust in Him and to rely on Him. And yes, at times, at times, some of us it, it's a call to repentance. Yes, at times, there, some of our suffering is a natural consequence of our sins. But God's ultimate desire is not to punish us about that. It's to call us to repentance. It's to call us to turn back to Him. And that's even true for those who were persecuting these young Christians. That was God's ultimate desire, even for those persecuting these Christians in Thessalonica and in Judea. You know, in verse 16, We read this, it says, in this way, they, and at this point, Paul's talking about the non-Christians who are causing the suffering and the persecution. He says, in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. And this this makes it sound like the wrath of God, the judgment of God is inescapable for those persecuting the Thessalonian Christians. But other translations of this verse are interesting. Other translations say the wrath of God is, Uh, is not come upon them at last. It says the wrath of God is hanging over their heads. Now that's different. That's different. It means the wrath of God is close, but it's not there yet. It's hanging over their heads, but yet there is still time for them to repent and for them to put their faith in Jesus. It is still time. It's like like a rain cloud. The storm is coming in see the storm and turn away from that, take shelter, take cover, right? And Paul, the writer of this letter, knows this better than anyone. He knows this better than anyone. He was one of the greatest persecutors of Christians before encountering Jesus. But after encountering Jesus, he became one of the greatest proclaimers of Christ. It's it's not that God wants to rush to bring his wrath on anyone. Instead, he longs for everyone to follow the example of Paul, to repent and to be redeemed by Jesus as well. Timothy Keller, which I feel like we quote him every week, uh, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, talks about this kind of redemptive suffering we experience as Christians. He says this, so suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. It's not only did Jesus become like us, coming from heaven to earth to be like us, to experience suffering on the cross in order to redeem us, but that we experience suffering at times to become like him. And in doing so, we experience more of his redemption. And that's how God can take our pain and use it for a purpose and take our pain and has a plan for it. Keller goes on to talk about how in our time, in our culture here, we tend to live for happiness, to live for happiness. And really our level of happiness or lack thereof goes really well along with this judgmental view of suffering. You know, if I'm happy, that means God must be happy with me. As long as life is going well, then God must be with me or with us. But if life is difficult right now, then I must be, and life is not happy right now, then I must be experiencing God's judgment. He must be upset with me about something. But as Christians, if instead of focusing on living for happiness, we instead learn to live for meaning, 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 looking at suffering th- of, through eyes of trying to understand how God wants to take these living in the meantime struggles and show us his purposes and his plans and usefulness that he can make out of it. Another way to put it is living in the meantime means living for meaning. When we can begin to do that, then our pain isn't wasted, it isn't lost. Instead, it can be useful to God in transforming us to be more like Jesus. And so if you're here today and it's been a rough week, it's been a rough month, a rough year, if you're going experiencing great suffering or a little bit of suffering, you know, uh, we, can, we need to ask God, God, help, to, help us to understand how to, the meaning of this. What do you want me to learn from this? You know, what's your purposes in this? Oftentimes when we're in the thick of the fog, it's in that moment we cannot see very far down the road. But we can ask God, God, would you, would you show us this road, this path that you're leading me on? Would you, show, would you lift the fog a bit and show us you know, how, how this could be somehow be turned into something that you wanna grow in me and transform in me? To have a view, that, a redemptive view of it, to have a, a living for meaning kind of perspective. I would encourage you, if that's you today, to begin to ask him to show you that. You know, Paul continues to address this challenge of suffering, but he also talks about the challenge of separation, the challenge of separation as well. Um, Verse 17, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did again and again. We'll pause right there. Here, Paul addresses that he's written to them instead of speaking to them in person uh, because of this challenge of separation with them right now. And I love how he says, in person, but not in thought. It's not that Paul, they've ever been out of his thoughts. They've, they've never been out of his, his mind, his heart, his prayers. He's always been, they've always been in his, in his prayers in that way, but, but they've been separated physically from them and they can't, he can't come to them and see them face to face. And the language here is so strong. He, he says, when we were orphaned by being separated from you, orphaned. You know, we saw last week, Paul talks about the Thessalonians as being like his spiritual children, as Paul himself being kind of like a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. But here is interesting, he, he flips the image here. Now he's not the, the spiritual father, he's now the spiritual child. He has been orphaned from them he says. We have been orphaned and separated from, from you. And he goes on to say that it's out of our intense longing. We've made every effort to see you. We just, we just can't right now. And, and it can be so difficult to be separated from ones that you love, right? It can be so difficult to be separated from people, even if it's for yours and their good. You know, in September of 2001, I turned 18 and started college. But if you remember what happened in September of 2001, it was quite a tumultuous time in our culture. I started at Ohio State one week after 9-11 happened, and I had just turned 18. And it was a very scary time, I know, for all of us in, in our country, we had not, not knowing what was going on and what was gonna happen, you know? And I remember that I had former uh, classmates you know, from high school friends and peers who, who in that, that time decided to change their plans and to join the military right then and there and go overseas. And they willingly separated themselves from their family and their loved ones for the purpose they believed they were keeping the rest of us safe for our good. And in the last few years, we've all known a little bit of what it's like to be separated from loved ones believing it was for their good. Right? During the height of the pandemic, we were told we were encouraged to stay away from extended family and friends, especially those uh, with health conditions or immunocompromised conditions where we might unintentionally pass on COVID to them, right? We didn't see Sarah's grandparents for, years, for a few years there. We couldn't visit and play with my nephew who's been battling cancer as much as we liked to during that season out of fear that we might get him sick. It's hard to be away from people that we love and care about, even when it's for for theirs and our good. Further down in the letter, we see that Paul continues in this theme, chapter three, verse one, he says this. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Paul says here that he just couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take it anymore. I have to know how these Thessalonians are doing. And so he sends young Timothy to check on them. And he sends Timothy probably because Timothy was half Greek. His father was Greek. And so Timothy was probably able to to go more undetected into Thessalonica and and, um, definitely more than Paul could. Uh, and, And he says, but Paul says, but I'm willing to do that and be left by ourselves, he says. He's willingly separating himself from Timothy so that the Thessalonians wouldn't have to be separated and alone. And now in a few verses later, Paul talks about how Timothy has since come back to him. And that's what we read in verse six. It says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. And he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Paul is so excited here to hear that in spite of their temporary separation, it's, it's been, that's been for their good, he's encouraged that they're doing so well. He's encouraged by their faith and their love for each other and that they miss him too. And I know some of you are in seasons of being separated or alone. Maybe you've you felt alone because you have a family or loved one you know, serving in the military or maybe they're traveling for business or maybe they've passed away recently, a parent or a spouse. But maybe it's not so much physical isolation or separation. Maybe it's more of a spiritual separation or a spiritual aloneness like Paul was experiencing back in Athens. It's not like Paul was all by, actually physically all by himself. There were thousands of people in Athens There just weren't other Christians yet. And so Paul, Paul is spiritually alone. And by sending Timothy away, uh, he's now experiencing that separation even more. And I know for some of you, some of you, you might be the only Christian in your family. You might be the only Christian. You might feel like the only Christian at work or the only Christian at school at times. You know, about a week ago, my, one of my sons found out that many of his school peers had been invited to another classmate's birthday party, but that he wasn't invited to that party because that classmate, and he told another student, didn't want my son's Christian influence at his party. And you know, when I heard that, on one hand, I was so sad for my son, but on the other hand, I was so proud of him Because he's clearly sharing his faith at school. As Christians, there will be times when we will feel isolated and separated and alone. And that's why Christian community is so important. That's why church is so important. That's why small groups and Ignite, our high school, middle school ministries are so important. Um, But even, even when we are alone or we feel alone, we're never really completely alone. We're never really completely alone because Christ is always with us. Michael talked last week about being in Christ. When we are in Christ, so like Paul, if it's for the good of the gospel at times, if it's for the good of the good news of Jesus at times that we are separated or have to stand alone for the good news of Christ to be separated from them, then so be it. And so be it. Because we're never really totally alone because Christ is in me, Christ is in you. And so Paul talks about this common challenge of suffering. He talks about this common challenge of separation. And the third one he talks about is the challenge of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. And for time's sake, I'm gonna kind of jump around a little bit here, but a couple of verses throughout this passage, we see that Paul addresses this in different ways, the challenge of spiritual warfare and of Satan. Verse uh, Chapter two, verse 18 for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, uh, but Paul felt very strongly that he was under spiritual attack and Satan was trying to block him from getting there. Verse, uh, chapter three, verse five, the second part of it, it says this, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. The tempter here again being Satan. What Paul is getting at here and writing to the Thessalonians and the same is true for us today as Christians is that we will at times experience spiritual opposition um, from the enemy, from the enemy of Jesus, especially when we are actively growing in relationship with God or participating in taking new ground for the kingdom of God. You know, if you've been following along with what's been happening in Ukraine and Russia, even this week, recently as is, is this week, the last few days. As, as Ukraine has been making some moves to press back into and taking back some of the territory that Russia has claimed for themselves, Putin has been more aggressive in pushing back than ever, right? Sending kamikaze drones, you know, attacking their, their power grid, initiating martial law in some of these areas, even waving around the, the nuclear card a bit, right? And like earthly warfare, When the kingdom of God begins to move in someone's life or begins taking back or taking new territory, that's when we often see the biggest pushback from the enemy. You know, I love, Michael last week talked about this. uh, When someone becomes a Christian, they've now put on a jersey. They've now put on a jersey. We're no longer spectators, you know, sitting in the stands. We're now jersey-wearing targets. For the other team to hit. And that doesn't mean we should now take off our jerseys and go back and sit in the stands where it's more comfortable. No, we should keep them on because our team has already won. They've already won. If we, if we think, of, think of it this way, the time between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming, this living in the meantime time, if we keep kind of with this sports game theme, You know, it's kind of like when there's a game, well, like yesterday's game, if you watch the Buckeyes game, where there's there's time left on the clock, right? There's still some time left on the clock. The game technically isn't over yet, but the score is so lopsided, there is no way the other team could come back and win, right? That is what we're living in right now. It is so lopsided. And we are the winning team. But isn't it true that oftentimes when you see games like that, that it's during those last few minutes that that is when the losing team, the team that's going to lose, takes the biggest cheap shots. And it's like the most unnecessary penalties, right? Because there's there's very little time left. They're being sore losers, essentially, right? We are living in that time. We should expect those cheap shots. At times that we're gonna to have to, as Christians, we're gonna to have to deal with spiritual warfare at time. And that should not be a reason to pull back. It should actually be a reason to lean in and to keep going. I wanna I wanna wrap up with this. You know, when I think about these themes in the early chapters of 1 Thessalonians, the challenges of, of suffering and separation and spiritual warfare, really in this whole story about, about Paul and his friends going to Thessalonica into this hostile territory, sharing the good news, but having to flee for their lives. And now it's not safe for Paul to go back yet. And so instead he sends young Timothy to go in under the radar to encourage them and support them. You know for me personally, I can understand this theoretically, but I, but I can't understand that in actuality. I've never experienced this in my life to that level, right? I think for a lot of us, we can live here, Central Ohio, and think, does this stuff really even happen? Does this still happen today? You know, well, Michael, Michael introduced some of our missionary friends uh, earlier, and um and I'm gonna use their initials only because we're recording this and just for their safety and for their ministry safety. Um, um, but, um, so I'm just gonna kind of refer to them that. Uh, but they're here selling rugs for their ministry today. But part of their story, it, it aligns with this story. Uh, Jay is from Ohio, from Cincinnati. Uh, and she felt called at, at a young age to do missionary work. And so she went overseas where she met her future and now husband, Kay. Uh, and and, and in, in the early years, uh, in the early 2000s, they began to share the good news of Jesus with his people group and began raising up Christians and planting these un- secret underground churches. And in 2008, they began discipling our husband and wife and their family. And within six months, that, 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 that grew into a house church of about 40 people, which is awesome, but also very difficult to keep secret. It's hard when 40 people show up at your house to keep that a secret, right? So God was moving in mighty mighty ways, in powerful ways, but at the same time there was great spiritual opposition. You know these these 40 these people were gathering together, they were worshiping God, they were experiencing him in his presence, they were, they were learning to pray. Really, the five-step prayer mountain, like the vineyard. Yeah, like they were learning to pray and they were staying up till one or two in the morning to do this. But at the same time, Kate would come home at one or two in the morning and just be filled with these thoughts from the enemy that he was gonna find his wife and his children murdered. He rushing home to go home and to find them actually safe in their beds, asleep in their beds. But, but these thoughts, if you keep doing this, if you keep doing what you're doing, this is, you know, this is what the enemy was attacking them. Eventually they were found out. They were arrested. They were separated from each other. They were both held separately in jail. Kay was told that his wife Jay had died so as to put pressure on him to confess what he had been doing. Otherwise he would, he would face the death penalty for preaching the name Jesus. But miraculously, I wish I had more time to tell more of their story, or better yet, they tell their story. But miraculously, they were released. They, they were able to flee, to get, to get out, to come, to come back to the United States, back here to Ohio. But they had to leave that one particular church and the other young underground churches, because that was just one of, of a couple churches that they had planted. But they, they had to leave those churches behind, and they can't go back because they're now known by the government. They cannot return, but remotely they continue to encourage and train up leaders. That's their ministry, uh, and I hope you're noticing some similarities here between their story and Paul's story. You know, where Paul had pen and paper to write. You know, they have other forms of communication with technology, um, but but they but they can't go back. But instead, recently another another friend who I'll refer to as E, who's with them here today. Uh, who was one of those young men who was a part of that church and they were raising up as a leader, um, has since um, relocated here to Ohio as well, here to Columbus. And just in the last six months, they were able to, he was able to go back secretly kind of under the radar because he's not known there in that way uh, and to encourage and support these underground churches like a modern day young Timothy. And you, you know, you know, I know they're very humble people. And so they probably wouldn't make this comparison, but I'll make it for them. They really are. It really is a, a Thessalonian Paul Timothy story. And it's, it's amazing and it's difficult and it's hard and it's painful, but it's beautiful at the same time. You know, and, and like Paul, who was a tent maker by trade, uh, that's how he made his living so he wouldn't be a financial burden on the early churches that he was planting. Kay's business for many, many years has, has been in selling indigenous rugs from this culture. And so by supporting their business, you're supporting their ministry to be able to continue on. And so after the service, I would encourage you to um, chat with them, check out their rugs, um, get on their mailing list, be, on, be a part of their newsletters uh, and, and, be, and commit to praying for them and to be praying for the ministry that it, that, it would, that it would grow and that more and more people uh, of their people groups and in that area of the world would come to know Jesus. And in fact, I, we did this last night and I'd love to do it again. I'd love to take some time and pray for, for you all right now if we can do that. So if there's some, I know it's a little different, but if you're sitting around them back there, just wave your hands again, guys. If you're sitting around, if, those of you around, if you wouldn't mind gathering around and let's just lay our hands on them and let's just pray for them. Uh, as a church, for for a minute here, hmm. just come, Holy Spirit, hmm. come right now. I pray that you would just love on our our brothers and sister we thank you for their faithfulness, Lord we thank you for their courage we thank you for their obedience and their love for you pray, Lord, that they would experience more of that love and courage and it would come from out of that overflow that they would serve And as I was praying for you guys this morning, I had a picture of a tree. And this tree was a fruit tree. And at first there was just one piece of fruit on it. And then more fruit began to, to, to grow out of it. And more fruit and more fruit, so much so that you could no longer see the leaves. And the, the, the branches were bending so much, it looked like they were about to break. And then I pray just with what started with one, with, with K, that Lord, with one piece of fruit that you would continue to do what you do, Lord. Continue to multiply. Use them, use this, their ministry, use, use these underground churches that they support and encourage and pray for and train up, Lord, to spread the, the powerful, strong, loving good news of Jesus Christ that they're part of the world. Mm. Protect them, Lord. Protect the ones they love. Mm. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, let's just, can we just clap for them? Just mm. beautiful. If the worship team wants to start to come, come back up, I'll wrap up with this. When we scheduled them to come, I don't know, a couple of weeks, month, months ago, we did not have this series planned. Even when we planned this series, we did not think and make the connection that they would be here on this weekend. It was not until I sat down on Tuesday and opened up, oh, what passage am I preaching on this weekend? That I, like, eyes open, realized, oh my goodness. I cannot believe this cannot be coincidence. And even though we did not plan this, God clearly did. And so that's an encouragement I think to us. And while we may never have a Thessalonian and Paul like Timothy story, uh, like they do, we are still not immune to the three challenges that they faced on some level of suffering and separation and spiritual warfare that Paul's addressing in this letter. These are at all some level common to the Christian faith, but we can have faith and have that that and have hope that our suffering is redemptive, that our separation is temporary, and that our spiritual warfare has already been won. Amen.